This is the Rev Thinking Podcast. Insights and conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. I am Joel, and we're talking about how to launch your own business. And welcome for those of you that have just dropped in. Um, Tim? Yeah, and I'm Tim Thompson. I'm the founder and chief revolution thinker at RevThink. Joel and I are both consultants to business owners in the creative industry. Um, and we talk about this a lot. You know, we've we've brought up a few topics, um, and I would love to hear from from you and the audience already if you have any questions or thoughts about just the beginning, choosing the direction to start a business. I'm curious if someone has started that and we've hit a nerve with you and want to have a conversation about that or about ready to start that and want to run something by us. I would love to use a case study um, sure. right now if someone's available. I'm, I'll also suggest uh, that we're going to share a free, call it launch checklist with everyone here. So we'll share a URL. I can actually put it up right now. Um, Revthink.com slash launch. So there's a checklist there. And if you if you download that, it's free. If you download it, um, you'll understand why we're not spending this hour going through that checklist. Because even the most simple checklist is like phase one, phase two, phase three. I don't know. There's probably like 30 or 40 items <laughs> on that checklist. So um, there's a lot. But that resource is, is there for you. We're going to try and make it, this conversation, a bit more accessible and try and chunk it down and stick to some of the really fundamental things of if you have an idea and someday you want to start your own business, here's what to think about. And here are some of the early steps um, that you can take. Tim, do you want to give people a glimpse of like when they start a business, you know, within the first couple of years, there's, there's a lot more than just that work thing. Like the, the email talks about the lady who bakes pies and she wants to bake pies all the time so she says i'll start a pie business i think am i remembering it correctly yeah i think it was pies pies are cupcakes um yeah i think that um in starting a business one of the first things that people do is they understand the product they want to make and they get it out the out the door um so an example is is um the zipline company that i own was actually started by an 18 year old and what he realized was that he wanted a zipline for his backyard and there was no easy way of doing it. He had to go to multiple stores and go online to buy the pieces to make his zipline. And he thought, there's got to be an easier way to do this. <clears throat> so very simply, he just went shopping for people. He placed an ad on eBay and some local, you know, online somewhere and people would place an order then he would go shopping for you put those ingredients in a box and ship it to you called a backyard zip line um but soon he discovered that it wasn't simply just making putting the stuff in the box people started asking him questions and it became more and more complicated um you know he started he started to start dealing with physics and uh people's personalities and what grandmas wanted over and grandmas and wanted more than grandpas when it came to certain things and he had to start distinguishing a message. And that's when business started kicking. And that's when he originally called me and said, hey, Mr. Thompson, he called me because <laughs> he was a young man. Mr. Thompson, could you help me figure out what's happening with my business? Because my brother and I can't keep up with, with all the needs. And what, ha what simply said is that he didn't realize there was actually like seven areas of business you have to master 
to fully run a business. He had one idea, the product or something creative or the initial kickoff, but something like just a production line to get the stuff out the door to, to simply mm. order the product and keep it going. Or if you're running a creative business, the talent that you have to acquire to meet the needs of your clients, that, that resource management and gathering and booking and negotiating and paying is part of it. Um, there's a financial component, cash flow. Um, you know, when the money comes in and lo- when the money needs to be spent, it's a very hard thing to manage if you don't understand what a cash flow routine is. And those things trip people up very, very easy. And that's when sales that are just organically come in start tripping people up. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, you have to go get to grow your business. You need to get sales beyond that ability. And marketing is the messaging to get those sales. Um, and then operations for the whole business. So that all kind of works together. Um, so we call those the seven ingredients, but that that's often the hidden thing about business that people don't realize when they get started is there are actually seven different major areas of business you have to manage. And if you're not, if you don't understand how those work, you can, that will stop you in your growth and even just shut down your business completely. Well, I remember being exposed to that idea from a business coach. This is a long time ago because I was in business for a few years and I remember him saying, Hey, Joel, you know, there's these different areas of business that you really need to master. And he started listing them off, right? You know, finance and production and sales and marketing. Anyways, as he went through the list, he said, can you point to one of those that if you suck at it, it won't kill you? Meaning, you know, if you're not any good at sales, do you think you'll survive? I'm like, well, no. Well, if you think you're not any good at finance, do you think your business will survive? I'm like, no. So his point was very, made very clear to me. And and in a way, I think the reason we share this with people here is it, it might sound like we're trying to give people like a reality check, which in a way we are, but we're also trying to encourage you because the good news is each of those seven areas, and I guess we should list them off, but each of those seven areas can be mastered. There is a set of best practices. And someday in the future, you will understand these things and then you'll probably delegate them. So like in the area of finance, you'll probably at some point fire your mom who's doing your bookkeeping, right, Tim? And, uh, and, and hire a bookkeeper, right? And you'll probably hire an accountant and then someday, you know, something else. And that ingredient is handled. But just knowing that that's ahead of you, I think will help manage people's expectations when they think, well, I just want to bake pies all the time. Why am I going crazy overwhelmed with so many of these other things? It's because on the outside, the outside world sees, oh, it's a pie company. They just make pies. That's all they do all day. Well, the reality is behind the scenes, there's several different things they're doing, including making that product or delivering that service. Um, yeah, someone DM me what are the what are the seven areas of business because I think we've been jumping around. So let me just uh, go read them off. Um, the the first one you often start with is the idea. Um, in a creative business, we call it the creative force. But you might have in the way the product idea, um, the initial kind of kickoff of what your service is, um, and that that's probably something you might do already have done or would really love to get into and knowing that owning a business, you can do it very easily. Um, and then you add to that your entrepreneurial effort because you need to be an entrepreneur to, to start a business. That's sure. So those first two ingredients are the, are the obvious two that start you off. 
Um, but as Joel said, like, make sure that first one is your genius. It's actually something that you want to do for 20 years, right, Joel? You don't want to do something for 20 years and want to have only done it for a year. And the entrepreneurial side is really understanding what that need and resource life it really is so that you understand the ingredients necessary to bake the pie and, and understand where that supply is going to come from. So um, besides that, we have, then you have production, which is getting the work done. You have sales, which is making sure that your need grows. So closing the deal, uh, finishing up the process, knowing how to land a deal, know how to pitch to get that deal done. And then marketing. Um, and Joel, what you're saying about marketing, marketing is uh, marketing and sales connection. Well, is- it's two things. So I'll say it's, first of all, it's everything that it's all the activities that enable sales to do its work. But in terms of, well, what is that? I define it as marketing is creating curiosity that leads to a conversation it, that's in the service-based business. But yeah, think of it as creating uh, awareness that it's curiosity out there in the marketplace. Curiosity is the best, right? Um, so uh, there's, uh, marketing and sales. And then the last two is finance and finance really is understanding money over time, not money as volume. So when, when money's coming in and when money goes out and how much time you have to make those decisions, those decisions compound themselves over time to give you more and more opportunity or more and more stress. So that financial ingredient management is actually understanding the time and financial equation that makes a business succeed. And last is operations. And uh, we, we use that last because most of businesses grow with operations kind of being done between people. The production <laughs> person does a part and then the marketing person does their part. And then two people hand off, you know, marketing and production kind of get an operation done. But when you get a certain volume, I mean, a mature firm kind of needs someone that really runs the operation and becomes the mortar between the bricks or the oil between the gears um, to make sure that production is doing what production needs to be done and that finance is doing what finance needs to be done so that the two um, make it happen. So it's a it's usually the last ingredient because it wraps it all together. Um, but those are the seven ingredients. Um, and we use that a lot in, in doing analysis with companies we work with. We actually do an assessment and then ask the questions across those ingredients just to get a sense of which ones are already mastered and easy for the owners to do and which ones they would need to put systems and routines in place to, to master more easily. So for, for anyone here that's saying, I'm going to start a business, um, just know that this is your path yeah, if you so choose it. And we, of course, give you our full blessing and encouragement. Do it. Go for it. Um, just know the path ahead, because once you realize those seven ingredients are a real thing, it starts to explain why a company of one or two or three people is a very stressful environment. There's a lot happening in just a few brains. Once you get to be 10 or 15 people, 20 people, and you start having individuals that are experts in those ingredients, things shift. And this is often where the owner starts to finally find satisfaction. It's like, oh my God, I I thought it would be fun when I started making a million dollars a year, but it's like, no, it might be when you're generating two or three or $4 million once you start finding actual satisfaction and simplicity again. 
Joe, here's a question that I just got asked. Oh, actually, let's reset and then I'll ask this question so that we okay, can cool. go over this time. Um, cool. It is it's 4.30. Just the voice you're hearing now is Tim Thompson. I'm the founder and chief revolution thinker at RevThink. Um, and I started RevThink 15 years ago. Much like many of you that are, have started a business or are starting a business, I was trying to figure out what, what the marketplace needed. And I went door to door with my friends that owned production companies. I simply asked, what, what would you need that I can give you? Um, and I kind of discovered uh, a service that I wanted to provide to my friends and an industry that I loved. And everything came from that. Joel Pilger was my client. Uh, <laughs> I met him about five right. years into the business. Yeah. <laughs> yes, hi. And, uh, my, the voice. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it my go? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So the voice you're hearing now, I'm Joel Pilger, uh, partner with Tim at RevThink, and happy to be here with you. Our topic is how to launch your own business. If you are launching a business right now, raise your hand. We'd love to kind of hear what you're going through right now. If you have questions, um, of course, please raise your hand or DM Tim, since I, I guess I'm doing most of the talking, but uh, Tim's going to be watching his DMs. Um, here's a thought, though, Tim, maybe for between now and the next reset, I, I'm thinking of like five or six really practical things. If somebody just said, okay, that's enough context. I want to start my business right right now. What do I do? I have a few thoughts I'd love to like rip through that are going to be very practical. Okay. So it's not things like go find an investor or create a business plan or any of that kind of stuff. But how does that sound to you, Tim? Yeah, go for it. Cause I, uh, I have a couple questions, but I think you're going to answer one of them by just doing that. Well, here's a practical one, right? Is a lot of people are like, when do I quit my job and start and start my business? And I would say, no, you have two jobs for a while. You have your day job and then you have your night job or your weekend job called getting yourself ready. This is often why people moonlight, they freelance or they have their side hustle. And what's great about that is you're, you're using that as a time of testing. And you're going out there, you're putting together some sort of an offer, some sort of a brand, some sort of a service, whatever that you're offering out there, often as a freelancer, and just seeing if it works and seeing if it does it make money? Is it, it, it do I enjoy this? And then you're, of course, looking for this next moment where I would encourage you to swing for the fences. Now, in our space, what that often looks like is a creative person will say to me, When can I quit my job? And I say, I want you to go in front of a really big client and pitch them a really big idea because you're going to win a big fat check. And once you win that job, you resign from your position and you've started your company. And then of course you have to go do that job, but get ready while you're doing that job, you're landing the next one because this is how we start off avoiding <laughs> the dreaded feast or famine cycle is anytime you are busy doing the job, you're also selling the next job. So this is Tim, unfortunately, right? You gotta, you're doing the creative ingredient and the sales ingredient at the same time, all the time. Right. You, that's where people say, do I have to, <laughs> do I really have to? I'm not very good at that. What would I do? Well, you uh, don't have to unless if you like starvation and you like stress and <laughs> then, then don't. But I, I just, we, we see it happen all the time that you swing for the fences. You know, I, the first job I ever pitched was a $30,000 job and that was in 1994 dollars and I won it 
and off I went making the job. Now, if I had just done the job and delivered it and spent all my time doing the work, guess what happens? When that job is over and I collect that money, how long does it take me to get the next job, the next project? It could take a month or two. And so now my income is cut in half or more because I've got to go spin up the next job. So just realizing yeah, it's really that. It's really the difference between a, a, a business and a hobby, isn't it? Like if it's yeah. something you want to do when someone asks you to do it, then that's really a hobby. If you're running a business, you are kind of taking on the responsibility to keep it going. That At least that, that's what your desire should be. And especially if you have employees, you have a responsibility to keep it going. So it gets compound, the issues get compounded even more. So I'll mention a third thing. And if you have your question, of course, just hit me. I'll mention a third thing. I've definitely had students and young people come up to me. I remember one time uh, I was speaking at a college and this lovely young lady came up to me and she said, okay, so I think I want to start my own business, but do I need to be like you? And I felt so awkward. I was like, be like me. What do you mean? No, you be you. What do you mean? And she said, well, no, I mean, do I need to be like able to talk and speak in public and you know, all, I'm like, oh, you mean, do you need to be like comfortable presenting and talking and so forth? And what I told her was no, but at the same time, you got to be a people person because here's this axiom. People don't buy from companies. People buy from people. So when you're starting a business, just recognize that people are buying from you. So if you're not a people person, just consider what would it look like for you to, to become more comfortable putting yourself out there because connecting with people, building community with people, and there are, there are introverts that can do this. They just, they know how to play to their strengths. I would just encourage you, don't go into it believing, well, if I'm just really good at this certain skill or I make this cool widget, the path will, the world will be the path to my door. It just doesn't play out that way, right? You're going to be conducting business with people. Or you need a really good business partner that recognizes that that's who you are. Because there sure. is a Steve Wozniak to a Steve Jobs, right? Like the two sure. went hand in hand in that process. So you would have to recognize your genius, the relationship to someone else's genius. But no, the business itself needs to recognize that uh, people, people relate to other people. Yep. Uh, so should I keep going, Tim? I, I can probably, I think I've got two or three more. Yeah, do do uh, do the next two. Okay. Uh, something else I think is a good one is I remember um, Dan Sullivan taught me this one, Tim, which I really like. And he said, entrepreneurs are people who understand that they must first create value before they expect opportunity. And I thought, ooh, that's really cool. There's a sequence there. So just understand this. I call it like a no entitlement attitude. So for anyone who thinks, well, I'm really, really smart. I'm really good at what I do. So therefore, I deserve. I would say it just doesn't work that way. You first have to create value. And that means risk. You have to put yourself out there. That might be a pitch. It might be a presentation. Like you're basically starting to solve the problem before you're getting paid. And that will shift <laughs> once you start your business. Over time, you will gradually gain more credibility and a body of work and a reputation, and those things start to work for you. But in the short term, you know, a lot of times, Tim, the way 
someone in our industry, the way they start a business is they just come up with a big creative idea. They go to a client and say, I think this would be amazing. You guys should do this. And they're like, wow, you did all this free work for us? Yes, because they realize I got to create something valuable before I expect opportunity. I love that one. The archetypes we often talk about in, in that scenario is the difference between a waiter and a doctor, right? Um, mm -hmm. A waiter is ask somebody, what would you like? And then the person with the request can make any demand possible. And the waiter's job is to basically fulfill that. And that sounds like a lot of businesses seem that way. But in reality, what's happened is, is the uh, successful business is one that's already created a product out there. And when the, re when the person walks in the door to make that request, it fits, no one's walking into an insurance company to buy a sandwich. Like it fits what the, what the need is that the value has already been presented. So you have to know who you are and what you're doing and what that value is to be successful as a business owner and to have your clients or your customers successful at using your product. Um, that's the kind of return that you want. And that's, again, going back to that's where people uh, relate to other people because they'll say yeah. that's the right product and or that's the tribe I belong to. I want to be um, doing stuff with them in their business. Right there, I heard you saying something where it's like it's more than just skills, like going to market and saying, I'm going to start a business because I have a skill, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you're good at numbers and you're like, oh, I, I'm good at accounting. I'm going to start an accounting business. That 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 future may not last. May, that may not be, may not be dreaming big enough, is my thought. Because a skill is often a commodity. And if your whole premise is, well, I'm just going to be better at it than everybody else, um, I don't know that that's what I would call a solid business plan. But what are your thoughts, Tim? <clears throat> You're, you, that's exactly right. I think there are skilled laborers and skilled work to be done. Um, but again, I think they're, that's a person that probably bought themselves a job. And I think our goal in talking about people about business is to recognize that the thing that you want to own at the end of the day is actually an asset that is somewhat separate from you as the individual, as the center and only main worker. So that skilled laborer, even a doctor has a problem sometimes where they walk away from their practice and there's no other value in it. Um, you have to mm -hmm. be able to move out of that, out of that entrepreneurial role into the business owner role and the business owner role has more of an investor thought and can grow the business beyond their own skill. Um, if you want an example of it, let me introduce you to Joel Pilger. He is a consultant at RevThink. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I had a specific thing that I could do, but to grow RevThink beyond my ability, Joel, you and I became partners. We, we've done greater together making this system work and making a system out of what we did than just what I was doing originally as a freelance problem solver when RevThink got started. If you're ready to start a business, something else I think is just good to think about is understand that you're entering a realm of potential big losses, big wins. Um, I know this, that if you've been an employee for some time, it could blow your mind to be involved in transactions that are 10 times you've ever been involved in. And it's, although it might be exciting to say like, oh, I could go out and win a 50 or $100,000 client or a project or whatever, that is exciting, yes. 
But I think it's also just important to make sure that you have the mental fortitude for you might lose $50,000 or $100,000. And the entrepreneurial game, it's like it's, you're making calculated bets all the time. So I, I always just encourage people, enter into that. What's it going to be like to win $100,000? What would it be like to lose $100,000? And if your answer is, oh my God, I could never, ever do that, then I would maybe tell you to consider <laughs> maybe going in a different direction. Yeah, there, and you don't necessarily have to lose to have the mentality, but there is a reality that there's a, that you're, when you're running a business successfully and those losses start becoming visible to you, you have to be able to recognize those losses and pivot and change your business. And that's the thought of like, if you're just going to panic and run and close your business as soon as something goes bad, instead of pivot change and, and find a new need, then the, the longevity of your business is um, going to be very difficult for you because you're basically only in it for the gains, which it could be very short lived. Yeah. Hey, Joel, I have a, yeah, go ahead. I have a, I have a question from Ashley. Um, it's kind of a long question, but I'll, I'll get down to the, the point of it here. She lost, she lost a membership based base business about five weeks ago. And she has a large Facebook following already. It seems about 20,000 followers between Facebook and Instagram. And it seems to be growing every week. So six, she's successfully marketed herself in, in social media, it sounds, which is awesome. But she said, I'm having a difficulty converting these social media followers actually into paying customers or paying membership. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that I can get, I can, I can talk a good talk and get followers to follow and people are engaged, interested and curious. But that last step where I can get them through the doors, sales to get them through the doors and being a paying member is very difficult. You know, what advice would you have? Boy, that's a good one. Well, I would say, first of all, you've got more than half the problem solved, right? Because if you have a following and people trust you and respect your expertise, that's amazing. Uh, good job. I would, I would think in these terms, is this group that you're running, um, what is the value? Like when people show up and they participate, what is it that you're giving them? How are you helping them? And could you perhaps tweak your content or whatever your group is about so that it's like a taste of what it's like to work with you. So think of the whole construct, the whole program, the whole, you know, curriculum, whatever the things are that you have in your world. It's like a preview of what it's like to work with Ashley, because when you start giving people advice and information and knowledge and understanding, you want them to have this thought of, wow, what would it be like to work with her one-on-one -on -one? so that at any time you can drop into that group and say, hey, next month, I'm going to be taking a small group of 10 people through this exact content in a much deeper format to help you experience transformation. DM me if you're interested and I'll, we'll set up a call and, you know, I'll see if you're a good fit for my next level, whatever advice 
program or class or whatever thing, and then make sure it's expensive. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it can't be, you know, don't charge a hundred dollars for it. Charge a minimum of a thousand, you know, maybe charge 5,000 or something because people that get to work with you one-on-one, um, they, they are going to show up committed if it's a, a high ticket offer and you're actually uh, promising transformation. Yeah, I think what I've learned is is you either do it for really expensive or you do it for free, but you don't give it away as a commodity. Um, mm. But but specifically, if like if you're going to give it away for free, you might and you need to, you might be coming up against the idea of the first follower. You haven't yet really created an engagement that's up, that you could brag about, or point to, and say this is somebody that has successfully been transformed by the coaching I'm giving them. So you might want to create a class of people friends and family that you are, you've walked them through the process and they give you the first testimony, or you could at least be engaged with them so that when you're talking to your larger community, you say, Hey, I'm currently working with these people. And these are the questions that they're asking me. And let me tell you what's going on. And what people hear is, Oh, I should engage you if I have questions like that. And that first follower, I think this a Simon Sinek kind of idea the first mm-hmm. follower triggers other people to go like, oh, this is something legitimate or this is something uh, worth diving deeper into. Um, so that's a good point, because you know what you also you find out, Tim, is when you get that first follower, there's actually a lot of nuance in getting that first conversion that you may not be aware of. And once you get the first sale, the first customer, that's a watershed moment because, you know, if I got one, I can get 100 if I can get a hundred, I can get ten thousand, and so there's a there's something that magical that happens in that moment. But you also, Tim, reminded me of something when you talked about maybe it's friends or families, family members that go through this whatever your offering is first, you know, to, to create your first customers. And that's something else I would encourage people that are thinking about starting something of their own is look to your community. Do you have a supportive family community? Because a lot of people that start their own business will have, you know, perhaps parents who say, why in the world would you do that? You're insane. That's crazy. That actually doesn't set up a good dynamic. So I would just be cautious. Make sure you have a supportive community and family around you that really believes in you, that's going to build you up, that's going to, you know, let you air out your frustrations and everything as you get off the ground because over time it there's it just tends to be like entrepreneurs tend to have kids that are entrepreneurial like there's this this thing that comes from the people that you surround yourself with so you know encourage you to to have that community around you if you're going to start your own business yeah nancy's uh are actually sending me a couple more updates on a little more detail but i'll say this too um, just answer some more questions, but I th- think might be good for uh, people to understand who have who spent time on social media and created that social media following, which really becomes kind of your first fishing net, right? It's where you kind of go to to that's um, the audience you've gathered to uh, engage them and look for paid members in the future. Um, one thing that's very beneficial to be in your quote unquote membership is to make sure your membership has benefits. So mm-hmm. one thing within RevThink, our RevThink community that we've built so, sounds similar to the platforms that Ashley's talking about is that we have paid Id- events and unpaid events, but you still have to be a member to be part of it. And some of those paid events 
are things as simple as just like a, a gathering of a, a dinner where people that are of like kind get to meet one another and to be the person making those introductions. Everyone just pays for their own dinner, but make those introductions. There's a lot of value to that membership. And in time, you're going to develop more and more of those, those offerings for your membership base. And you'll find that the members themselves create the value with one another. So it might take some patience or there might be some really easy uh, one-off events you can create right now. Like, uh, you know, we're all going to go to a certain park uh, at a certain day and do this activity. Um, but you have to be a member to be part of it might be an easy way to kind of get the people that are in, in and the rest of the people that aren't ready to engage, you know, kind of don't waste your energy with them right now. Um, but they're, they're, you're going to have to find – what's the book that we read, Joel, 100 years ago? Dotcom Secrets? Is that the yeah. one? There was some book like that kind of helped create those. Yeah, it was um, Russell Brunson, I think. And, it, you know, the, the title is terrible because it, it sounds like a very sensational book. But there's a concept of a value ladder in there that I think is very compelling. And I'll say this. Here's another tip for Ashley and for everyone else. If you have a following on social media – that's great. It's awesome. However, Tim, what would we say? Always be list building. So at some point, you want to be able to own that list yourself, not Facebook, not Instagram. So just look for opportunities to, it could be as simple as get people's email addresses. I know it sounds like, yeah, whatever. But trust me, tomorrow Facebook could totally change the rules on you and you don't own that list. So if you're creating value, find a reason, a transaction where you can encourage people, hey, let me get your email address and I'll send you my thing. Because over time, that's going to be hundreds and thousands of people that you can communicate with ap apart from Facebook. And it is funny that if someone gives you $20, they're more willing to give you $200 and then more willing to give you $2,000 than it to go from zero to 2000 For sure. Right. There is something that said like, hey, just give this quick download. We'll already get some person engaging and they've basically bought into you. Um, and it's something of a behavior science that, that gets people to, to keep that going. Um, just real quick, I think we have about 10 minutes left and we can go a little bit over, but I don't want to uh, spend more time here than we had allocated if not necessary. Um, we are happy to keep, keep on answering questions. I, we recognize there's a lot of different types of businesses and work that you're doing. Just to give you some background in what what Joel and I are engaged in, we do work with creative entrepreneurs. So those are people that own production companies or marketing agencies. Um, one group I'm working with now is building an NFT platform. That kind of like creative entrepreneurial space where there's uh, a vision and, and some kind of creative output there. Um, but we are both also business owners. Joel owned his own business for 20 years. I, I own four businesses myself. One of them is an investment company. And we see a scope of different types of decisions that can be made constantly within the business world and, and on business platforms. And our biggest uh, desire is to help people understand those decisions. But what the terms we say is get those decisions out in front of you. And then we come alongside that business owner to w talk through the opportunities and strategies that that are available to them. Um, so there isn't any question that we're afraid of right now, because if we're not doing it, we're going to do it soon. <laughs> but, That's right. uh, it's also, <laughs> but there's also just like some basic principles that we've been going over for this last hour that all business owners have to recognize. 
Joel, we haven't talked about imposter syndrome yet. And I think that is Hmm. probably one of the biggest holdbacks for all starter entrepreneurs is just not feeling legitimate. Do people actually want this? Am I real? Um, And we do spend a lot of money on websites and that kind of stuff to make ourselves feel real, don't we? Um, (laughs) But imposter syndrome is a real thing. So I'm currently reading Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull who is the president of Pixar, phenomenal book. And he was talking about imposter syndrome. And I like this point he made. Imposter syndrome is effectively the gap between what you think you're supposed to look like, what you're supposed to be doing, and what you are doing, and what you do look like. And so he made this point that the only reason we get this imposter syndrome is because when we start a business, in this example, we think it's supposed to be a certain thing. It ought to be a something. It should be this. It should be that. And then we feel like, well, gosh, I'm not that. So am I just supposed to put myself out there and fake it and pretend? Or do we dare say lie? And I mean, Tim, my encouragement would be You'll hear a lot of people say, fake it till you make it. And there is some truth to that. I but I think that the better, saying, you know, the, yeah, I know the, the better saying, and, and Tim, I think this is the one you and I've used at times is fake it, then go make it. And by fake it, all, all we're really saying is don't be afraid to put yourself out there and go for it. And then when that client, or that customer says, really, Ashley, you can do all that? You say, yes, then go do it. And over time, what you're gonna see happen is you're gonna show up in amazing ways. You're gonna create something transformative. You're gonna produce an amazing service or product. And what results after that is confidence. And you start recognizing, I can do this again and again and again, every time when somebody shows up and says, hey, can you do that? And you put yourself out there, you gradually build confidence. And it's, uh, it's a journey. But that imposter syndrome thing is, uh, is it's something that everyone needs to be know, know it's out there. It's coming. The reason I don't like that fake it till you make it cliche is the belief that it's made any other way is where we get it wrong. So the thought that you are faking it and then making it or, you know, or faking it before you make it kind of a thing is so wrong. That is how things are made. They're made from, from the zero to one process is it didn't exist and you're bringing it into existence. That's not fake. That's just make, but it's an early stage make. And it almost feels like we're not ready for engagement until everyone has accepted us. I think you have to get rid of that. Everyone qualifier in your life or even the idea of acceptance it's really just the idea of value have i created value for someone else and if you have you're not faking it you're not faking it that's how it works your product creates value you know that story i told about my zipline company where the the founder simply just solved someone's problem of wasting hours to do something that he could do on their behalf by putting in the box for you and and just buying it on ebay so there is a lot of opportunity out there when you're willing to engage the real problem and then don't be afraid of the problem. Be proud of the problem. Matter yeah. of fact, the, the way I solved the problem is I 
changed my title to that name. I am the chief revolution thinker at RevThink. Like I call yourself the person that does the thing. And I think <laughs> using the as your as the qualifier, not a person that does this, but the person that does it really gets rid of you being an imposter at all. Well, there was a moment, Tim, when I was really struggling with imposter syndrome when guess what? I was suddenly a, a consultant, whatever that means. And I'd never done it before. And I felt very arrogant and silly putting myself out there in the world saying, I know how you should run your company, right? I'm the smart guy you should hire to help you figure out how to run your company. It felt ridiculous. But I stumbled across a meme one day that totally changed my trajectory. And the meme simply said this, you are the expert at how you did it. And I thought back on all of my story, my career, everything that had led up to the point where I was sitting at right then in front of my computer staring at that meme. And I realized, oh yeah, I have done it. I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to go do it more. And, and the way, the how I did it, yeah, I'm the only expert that can tell you how I did it. And I know everybody here that's listening has a similar story. You're the expert at how you did it. So now have confidence in that and take it and go forward and share it with the world. That's a beautiful reminder because it's what we do celebrate is the person that did something in a unique way and put their own signature on it. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like if you are that cake baker, we want your special ingredient, not the Costco ingredients when you bake it, right? So you have to know it is about you and you are the special ingredient and all that stuff. So definitely not, definitely not scamming somebody if you're selling your version of it. It's uh, it's the transparency and, and honestly, the thing we want to engage with when we, when we work with a business. Yeah, that's great. It is the, it is the top of the hour. I'm happy to hang out and answer one more question if someone has it. But before we do that, let's just tell people where they can find out more of our stuff. Um, so RevThink is a consultancy for, for creative business owners. Our website is RevThink.com. And our podcast, where most people engage and listen to the advice that we give, is RevThinking. And you can find the RevThinking podcast on every major platform. If there are business owners here that are working in our space, so if you run a creative studio or an agency or production company, we would definitely invite you to be a part of our community, which is called Rev Community. Um, that's where there's a few hundred business owners like yourself hanging out in a very cool private social community, um, helping each other, sharing with each other, uh, inter interacting with us uh, and helping, uh, you know, helping them move their businesses forward. And you can find a link to that community right on our homepage, as well as a link to our mailing list on the homepage. And the mailing list is where you would find out about this event that you're listening to right now or other events like this that we do. Joel and I, every week, we do a live uh, video cast straight out of our own homes <laughs> every week <laughs> called the Weekly Briefing. And we answer questions and we are talking about topics. So if you want to hear about that stuff, please join our mailing list. We'd love to have you be part of things that we are doing here. Yeah, that um, is called the weekly briefing where we update everyone on the latest in the industry. Um, I hope what you're hearing is encouraging to you because not only are we um, just giving you advice straight from 
the work that we do every day with creative entrepreneurs and business owners or personally as business owners. Um, we're giving you advice from what we've lived and through with our own life. Uh, being a business owner myself for 20 years, Joel was one for 20 years before he came, became my partner. You know, I've been in and out of so many issues, Joel's financial issues, legal issues, um, struggles with uh, employees. And I've, with my own businesses and with many, many of our clients, uh, we know those ups and downs of ownership are very difficult. And we often ask the question, should I even be doing this? Um, so if we gave you any words that are encouraging to keep on going, we want you to keep on going. We exist so that you can thrive in business, life, and your whole career. Um, and those are different bu buckets you need to process to make yourself successful. Um, so we're so happy to do this. I think we could talk about this all day and night, Joel. I think we do <laughs> talk about it all day and night. <laughs> well, sometimes I feel bad because I know when we have a conversation like this, we try and give people a sense of here's what's ahead of you when you start a business. And it can seem overwhelming, right? All those seven ingredients. Oh my God, I need to master all that stuff. And you know what it's like when you sit down and start setting a bunch of goals, it feels overwhelming, feels like a burden. But the reality is it is possible and it is exciting. And heck, I mean, what were you planning on doing with the rest of your life anyways? So if that's you, Tim and I both encourage you to absolutely go for it and do that. Live that dream. I think it's out there for everyone who who wants it and uh, is willing to learn and grow. If there's anything we could do to help you, please reach out to us. You'll find us on social media everywhere. My favorite is LinkedIn. So if you actually want to get a hold of me, try LinkedIn first before you try those other platforms. Um, but we're out there. You can direct message us. Um, and we have slots available to, to have these conversations with people that are asking these questions. Um, we think it's some of the best work that we can do. It's what yeah. we're gifted for and we'd love to do it. So don't hold back on our behalf. Um, and you're right, Joel, I, we don't want to uh, scare people away. There honestly is uh, business can be done and started very easily. The whole friends and family movement, just start with people, you know, and, and get started there and see and learn from those first engagements and be willing to pivot and keep on making successful and valuable um, solutions for people. You'll do, you'll do great. We're excited to hear what happens. Well, thanks for everyone who was here and a part of this. Thanks for the questions. And Tim, we're going to be back, I suspect, in a, in a few more weeks with another fishbowl. So I don't know what the topic's going to be, but Rachel and the team at Fishbowl, I'm sure, are going to throw a, throw down the gauntlet for us and we'll come, up, come back with something really <laughs> exciting to talk about. Sounds great. Thank you all for listening and we hope to see you next time or hear you next time. Joel, have a great night. Safe travels right. to you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tim. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.